Welcome to the It Takes More Than Hair podcast. The show that gives you the systems and secrets of the highest earning salons in hairdressing. So you can create an epic business and career in hair. Now, here's your host, David Barnett. Welcome everybody and today I am humbled and honored to introduce you to my guest because we are amongst hairdressing royalty. Winner of British Hairdresser of the Year and British Hair Icon. He is now the figurehead of his very own award-winning hair care range and collection of styling tools and is now at his latest appointment as creative director of over 65 salons for the well-known and celebrated salon group Headmasters. Please welcome the incredible Andrew Barton. Hello, everybody. Hello. Nice. Hey, Andrew. Listen, man, thank you so much for taking the time. You know, I tell you what, one thing before we even get started here is that just like, you know, I've been, I've been looking at your, um, um, just what's been going on in your world recently, right? I mean, we've had some interaction recently and it just amazes me. Just, you know, even looking through your bio here, just you've got so much going on. How do you even get the time to do it all? You know, as a business owner myself, I'm just like, wow, how does this guy even do this? Um, I, I think probably, I've, you know, I'm, I'm very organized. I've got an amazing team of people that I work with and, you know, throughout my career, I've always been about team and I've been blessed that I've worked with some of the larger organizations in hairdressing, which means an extended team. Yeah. Um, it's not all about my team, but it's also about what I've found really works really well for me is doing the things that I don't want to do on my to-do list first right. and getting them out of the way and then spending the rest of my time on the stuff that I really enjoy doing. So it's about being organized, it's about being structured. Mm -hmm. And for me, part of that organization and structure is also about my health and right. my well-being. Um, you know, I include exercise into my daily routine. Yeah. Uh, and that means sometimes putting the alarm clock on at 5 a.m. and not arguing right. with it and going out for a run or a swim or doing some yoga or something. And that's, not, and that's not something that hairdressers are normally famous for either, right? No, no, but as I've got older, I've realized that that kind of is really important to me. Yeah. It's important to kind of my mental, emotional well-being and therefore my output. Right, the way that you're showing up every day. Absolutely. Whatever that job is, I'm in a better frame of mind if I've included that in my routine. Yeah, awesome, awesome. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm dying to kind of talk about your new role at Headmasters and I'm dying to talk about Able as well, which we'll get into in uh, just a few minutes. But I think first and foremost, you know, I know we have a lot of US listeners here as well. And I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your, your background and how you got started in hairdressing to start with. Okay, so for the US listeners, forgive my accent. Um, <laughs> we'll put some subtitles up. <laughs> uh, I'm originally from the north of England, but London's been home for kind of well over 25 years. Um, but, you know, I'm still very proud of my northern roots in Yorkshire, where I'm from. My hairdressing career started with very humble beginnings in a small village salon where I did an apprenticeship. Um, but I realized that there was a big, massive world out there that I need to discover. So I spent some time in the States and in Australia. 
um, where I helped to kind of perfect my skills a little bit and learn a little bit more about what women wanted from a hairdresser. And also I got a little bit more diversity about how some businesses operate from small to large. Um, but then, you know, the, the lure of home was kind of too much. So I came back to London and the UK and I spent a number of years with the Tony and Guy organization as that was going through a huge growth period and it was establishing its TG brand at the time. And I was kind of very involved with kind of both the creative and the educational and the management process of what was happening in that brand at that time. And I had some incredible, incredible experiences working in that organization. And I feel very blessed that part of my career was there. Um, I then joined a large UK operation called Saks Hair and Beauty. Um, where we, we grew from 35 salons to 150, grew an artistic team, training and education. I owned a franchise. Um, and so most of my career has been with the big kind of salon groups in the UK. Um, and then I realized that, you know, I, I won British Hairdressers of the Year. I had a consumer hair care range in the supermarket. Um, I was also on a national television on a makeover show every single week. Um, everything was going great. And, and I realized that as the, the Andrew Barton brand was growing, if you like, that I needed to look at having my own salon. Mm -hmm. uh, so I opened a salon in, in very cool, trendy, fashionable Covent Garden in central London. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and you can imagine with a location like that, it was very challenging in terms of making everything work against the overheads. Um, but we, we managed to get to a place within about five or six years where we were turning around a really good financial business. Yeah. We had a brilliant reputation as well, which was cool. Mm -hmm. uh, fabulous team of people working together. And then one morning I opened that fateful envelope from the landlord advising me of a 46% rent increase. Wow, wow, that is crazy. So it was no longer viable as a business, so I had to kind of make a very emotional, very, very difficult uh, decision, and I had to close the business and make my whole team redundant, which was probably kind of the worst part of my working life. And I think just, you know, I mean, just with you touching on that subject there, it just shows you that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are as a hairdresser, how gifted, how talented you are, and how renowned your salon becomes. When, when that type of stuff happens, we have no alternative, right? It's just not viable anymore. No, and I think you have to make some difficult decisions and difficult choices. And part of that choice for me was for about 16 months until we actually closed, it was business as normal and I had to just turn up to work and, and keep working with mentoring and kind of developing my team and developing the business right up to the very last day that we put the lock in the door. Right. So, you know, I, I understand the challenges that we all face as salon owners, as salon managers, as, as workers in salons, but sometimes you just have to pull your bootlaces up and yeah. get what's in front of you. Right. Um, and, and for me, what, what happened then, because we'd built a great reputation, my team all managed to get great jobs. So that wasn't a, kind of too emotive. Um, and as one small door closed for me on my own salon brand, a huge one opened when I was appointed as creative director at Urban Retreat at Harrods. Awesome. 
Um, and that was a completely kind of different animal to anything that I've worked in before. We were the world's biggest hair and beauty destination. Wow. Serviced um, 20,000 services per month. Wow. In the hair <laughs> just how many how many team members were were at um, um, retreat? The hair team alone was about fifty hairdressers. Fifty, right? Um, and then kind of all the support team, and then we did makeup, we did beauty, we did kind of a restaurant, we did a hammer, we did kind of nails. So it was yeah. a huge, huge business. Um, and then sadly, after four years of, of that role of working with an incredible business in so high end and luxury. Yeah. which appealed to me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you know, the similar thing happened then to the owners of Urban Retreat. Um, oh. The lease was coming to an end and, and Harrods, as a department store, decided that they could run a hair and beauty division themselves without the expertise of, of, of kind of a salon owner, if you like. So the salon kind of ended um, and became Harrods Air and Beauty, and I knew that it was time for me to rethink what was next for Barton. Right. And another door opened for me, which I'm, you know, that I'm so blessed um, because yes, I've been appointed as creative director for the Headmasters Salon Group here in the UK. Okay. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, you know, I mean, just a couple of questions about um, about that journey. You know, and um, let's just let's just because you touched on on the Harrods and you know the size of that salon and the scope of it. I mean, it's just remarkable to me. My thought, you know, John Barrett's in New York was a big operation until I heard about what you've got on going on there because you know that many team members on board. I mean, as creative director for a salon of that size, I mean. How do you even go about trying to kind of manage that, that team? Well, I, I think, firstly, I'll enter, the, I, can I answer that by kind of explaining what I think the term creative director means? Please, yes, absolutely. Or what it means to me. Yes, I, yes. I, I think it's a, it's a title, it's a term that gets bantered around a lot in our industry. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, it does mean that I'm involved in, the creative process of creating photographic imagery that represent the brand that I work with. Mm -hmm. um, but it also means that I'm the custodian of the brand in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and that means that really my main responsibility as creative director is that I'm responsible for the general quality of work that leaves that salon. Right. And that doesn't matter whether it's five people in that salon or 200 people in that salon, I'm responsible to ensure that the clients receive the, the brand promise and the quality that we promise our clients that come and visit as a headmasters. Yeah. Obviously, I can't touch every single head of hair that walks through the headmasters doors. We've got 50 plus salons um, and we employ kind of over 1,500 people. So I, I can't be involved in every single haircut or blow dry or colour. Um, but by setting out what the brand standards are and creating the education and inspiring our people to understand what the brand ethos is, then that's a really big part of my band, my, my job as a creative director. And to people that are listening to this, um, I think whether you're a small salon or whether you're a large salon, if you're the manager or the owner, all of us have some kind of responsibility 
to ensure that that quality is delivered. Um, and whether that's your full-time job, like it is pretty much mine, or whether it's that you spend a few hours of that a week, um, I, I think, yeah, there has to be some element of that role in every salon business. I couldn't agree more. I mean, 100%, you know, I think that, yeah, every, any salon owner or, or manager or educator in any type of location like that, I think needs to have some oversight over what's, what's going on and what's leaving the salon, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, it's our business. Right, and we've got to be uh, responsible for what's going out the door. You know? Okay, and, and you know, for, for me, what that means as well is that if we're shooting a photo shoot or a marketing campaign for PR purposes, I've got to make sure that image represents not only me as a hairdresser in terms of my taste, but also represents that brand brilliantly to our clients. Right. This is the hair that we represent. Right. This is what you can expect when you come and see us. And the great fit for me and Hem Masters is that we both love the same type of hair. Do you know what I mean? I, I love really beautiful, feminine, glamorous, glossy, gorgeous hair. I'm not about trendy, edgy, funky. Right. I find it even difficult to say those words because <laughs> they don't really mean anything to me as an artist. And I, I think as an artist, as a hairdresser, over the year, over the three decades that I've been doing hair, I've, I've become very aware of, of what my signature is in terms of hair. And I, I don't try to play with other things. I stay true to kind of what I like and what I like doing and what I like seeing. And, and um, thankfully, um, I've been able to kind of develop a career out of that. I mean, I think just listening to you there and, and what you said about being able to develop, uh, sorry, to deliver what the guest is really expecting from the brand as well. Is, that's music to my ears because I mean, I think, you know, we can all get into that place where we think we are total artists and we have free scope on what's going on. And of course, that's not the case, you know, and being fully aware of who you are as a brand and the type of guests that you're attracting and what they expect from it is so, so important. That's absolutely. And, and I think that's kind of where a lot of sellers have to kind of be very honest with themselves and not try to be something else. Find out what your brand values are. Yeah. Stay true to those about brand values. If, if your brand values are about when people come into your salon, it's going to be a very edgy kind of funky place with loud music going and everybody looking a bit crazy, then that's cool as well. Yeah, yeah. Stay true to kind of what those, that ethos is about your brand because you'll fill a business with people that want that as well. Right. Um, but it's about that honesty. It's about that honesty. But it is, I mean, I, I think sometimes we kind of forget as hairdressers that we are a service industry. Right. Um, and we have to kind of remember that and, and remember what it is that people want from that service. Right. We're 100%, you know. And, um, well, I'll tell you something, David, that yeah. kind of really kind of, it's just so powerful to me that in the businesses that I've worked with, regardless of who that client is or wants to be in their ID, the one thing that they have all got in common and all our salons across the world have got in common 
is that when clients visit professional hairdressers, they are expecting the number one thing is that they're expecting advice mm -hmm. about their hair. What happens when they leave the salon? What happens to their color? How do they wash their hair? What styling product do they use? And I think sometimes we, we forget that as hairdressers, we take it for granted and we don't take advantage of that as business people. It's not a sales ploy at all. It's just that that woman, that man that sat in front of us, every single client, wants all that knowledge that we know and yes. they want us to give it here and, and so few of us actually give it to them. That is so, so true. You know, I mean, Nicole and I now, you know, we get to coach so many salons all over the world. And, you know, the minimum expectation now, the minimum expectation of any guest, we always say, is to have an amazing haircut, amazing color. For that to be an exceptional service that they're going to talk about, then it needs to be education. Yeah. You know, education by the stylist to the guest. And like you just said then, you know, so many stylists pick up products, use products, you know, and they picked it for a, a specific reason, yet yeah. they don't share that with the guest. And it's crazy, you know, and they want to know about that. It's like, you know, we talk to so many hairdressers that say, I don't want to be salesy, you know, I don't want to push anything onto a guest. And of course we don't want to be, but you do have to educate. And really that's where sales stems from anyway. It's just yeah. about educating on what you're doing. It's that word you've just mentioned, their expectation. Right. She, she or he obviously expects she's going to get a quality haircut or quality right. or she wouldn't be in the salon in the first place. Right, time. right, right. What she also expects is for you to share information with her that can make her hair look even better and make her look even better. I, I think one of the things that I, I learned when I was doing the makeover show on TV called 10 Years Younger. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting, it's become a great British export. Oh, it's a great, great show, great show. And, and part of what I learned about that, you know, the, the, the makeover contributors were having some major dental work done, they were having kind of cosmetic surgery, and they had fashion, they had makeup, but the one thing that transformed not only how they looked, but how they felt about themselves was their hair, every yes. single time. Mm -hmm. And for the average person on the street, that is something that everybody can tap into having gray hair. Not everybody can afford or wants cosmetic surgery or major dental work and things like, or wear necessarily a lot of makeup. But hair is the one outfit that she never takes off that's got to work for her every single day. Right. And the thing that I learned about the, sh the TV show was, and it was a real interesting turning point for me because I realized that as a hairdresser we have the power every single client to not only transform how that client looks but how they feel about themselves right and it's so so powerful and you know probably one percent of the hairdressing community actually realizes that every time they're still behind their client. You know, and you know, I think that this, there's probably so many hairdressers listening to this right now who are trying to um, become renowned for what they do, right? And they're going and they're learning more hairdressing skills, more cutting skills, more coloring skills. And really, like you just said then, in order to stand out and be noticed, 
all they need to do is educate on what they already know. Absolutely. You know? I mean, that's the service for, for 99% of them. Like, you know, I mean, of course, the hairdressing skills need to be good. And of course, we need to be current on what we're doing. But if they just put across what they know already to the guest, they would be renowned in their area for what they're doing. Totally. And it, 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 you know, part of that advice, we kind of talk all day about it. And we should have a dinner party and discuss it deeper <laughs> um, over a bottle of wine. Sounds um, good. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I learned very, very early on in my career was that as soon as I got my guest, my client, to check out, to reception, to that last point, when she's feeling her most orgasmic because she's got this incredible hair, yeah. um, was, was to tell her what I'm going to do next time she comes. Right. Do you right. Mean, and again, that's yeah. so empowering. Do you yes. mean, I never want a guest to leave me thinking I'm not sure if, if and when she's going to be returning. Mm -hmm. I mean, I want to share with her when she needs to come back Mm -hmm. what she can expect next time yes 100 percent. you know and these are these are these are systems and these are rules that we know that many hairdressers already understand but it's so amazing to me that so many of them don't practice them yeah. you know it's simple stuff it's simple yeah. stuff but done consistently will completely transform your career absolutely absolutely you know when this stuff becomes a salon culture that's yeah. when we see these salons that just take off. And that was another question I had for you. I mean, like, you've worked for so many incredible groups, you know, Tony and Guy, Saks, Headmasters, some of the leading salon groups in our, in our entire industry. Is there a similar thread that kind of connects them to that level of success that's allowed them to kind of propel themselves? I, I think probably the similar thread that I've experienced is that... Um, they understand what their brand values are. Right. They live and die by them. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, for us at Headmasters, it's all about beautiful, fashionable, um, confidence-building hair. Yeah. I mean, if we can give our clients, every single one of them, regardless of their age or their size or their income, mm -hmm. beautiful, fashionable, confidence-building hair, yeah. then we know that we can be really successful at what we do as a business. Yeah. So it's, and I'm sure kind of every other brand kind of, it's, it's about kind of really tapping into it to what you want to say about your business and staying true to that. And staying, okay, so this is a magic word. Staying consistent. Right. And I'm often asked by people, Andrew, what, what's the success of leading teams, managing teams of people, small or large, because a team of people comes in every shape and size. Do you mean, and you need kind of those real fiery kind of dynamic goers. <laughs> yeah. You also need those people who are kind of a little bit more of a whisper and just... Yeah. You attract, you attract what you project. Absolutely. Right? You need to be able to attract them all. If you've got a team full of firers, then, you, you know, the team wouldn't be that powerful. Right. Um, and, and the magic word is, I think what I've been blessed to see by working with other teams and other mentors over the years, what I've picked up is that as a leader, I need to be consistent. I need to be the same every single day. Right. On my team. 
Because if my team know they can trust me to be the same all the time, then I can trust them to get the best results that they can produce. And I think, again, you know, that all ties back into the way that you're living your lifestyle as well. In order to show up as that consistent best version of yourself, that's why you've got fitness and health all yeah. part of your daily routine. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and that comes back to my role as a creative director. Do you mean in terms of part of my role is making sure that our brand is consistent all the time? Yeah. If we do a balayage, that it consistently has the M Master stamp on it. Yes. We cut a shot, a, graph, a graphic geometric bob. It's got that headmaster's signature to it. And that, that's, I, yeah, I, I guess that's kind of what I live with professionally every day is, 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 is working to make sure that everything that I do is, is consistent. consistent. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I also have a, a separate business in that I have a consumer hair care brand. On the, on the supermarket here in the UK and in some countries around the world as well. And again, part of that is just making sure that that's consistent in its delivery. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, and the, the hair care line was something I was definitely going to come to right now. Um, because I, I mean, there's been a lot of conversation at the moment in the hairdressing world, right, about product lines because some product lines now we are competing with the online shops as well. It, it's affecting hair salons. A lot of salon owners looking at perhaps doing their own lines and stuff like that. I mean, how did you get started with yours? And is that something that even, you know, the everyday salon owner could even, should even be looking at? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's certainly been a highlight of my career. Um, and it was definitely a gift from above. Do you know what I mean? It was, <laughs> it was something that, you know, every hairdresser would dream of having. Right. I was blessed enough that I was in a position where my profile was quite high, in, not only in the industry, but to the consumer as well, on yeah. a mass level because of television. Um, I'm just going to close this door one second. Yeah, take your time. Um, and, you know, the opportunity came for me to create my own range, my own brand. Um, I took the harder journey in that I owned the business rather than being a licensed deal, where I just put my signature to a paycheck. Yeah. Instead, you know, I put the investment in. Um, and I've been involved with everything from new product design and development to working with the laboratories, wow. uh, to working on fragrance, to working on testing with consumers. You know, I even to the point where I know kind of the challenges around warehousing and distribution and when it snows, what happens on the roads and that means the lorries can't get out of the warehouse on time. So, and that's how deeply involved I am in it because it's my baby at the end of the day, it really yeah. is. Um, so, yeah, I, um, I've, I've learned a lot of skills in, in, in running and working in that business. Yeah. I think, you know, coming back to your question around kind of the challenge about kind of professional products in the salon as opposed to kind of products in the supermarket or the pharmacy. Mm -hmm. The difference, and, and what I'm more bothered about to hairdressers, is the difference is a slightly different argument. The difference is that product that sits on those shelves in our salons comes with direct advice. Right. I mean, my brand in the supermarket, the consumer makes a decision usually based on price. Right. On the shelf in front of it. There is no real direct advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yet, in most salons, we let 
50, 60, 70, 80, even 90% of our clients walk out by, without telling them which shampoo they should be using on their hair. Yeah. And they wonder why that brand sits on the shelf collecting dust. I agree. So there's I, a agree. I will not enter that debate or argument about what yeah. professional or consumer because the difference is just so different. Yeah, and I think, like you said, you know, I think for a lot of, of, of um, hairdressers out there that um, I think it's just another reason to have an excuse for not doing the education, <laughs> you no. know, not going that extra step. No. Um, and uh, you know, I, going back to that, I've never seen it as an extra step. I, I just see it as kind of, that's our job as a professional. Yes. Yeah. Your job, that's what you do every day. The complete, the complete service. Like, oh, David. Yeah. And I, and I know inside, if I, if I think, oh my God, I've not mentioned what product or what color she should have. Mm -hmm. Because that's the other thing as well. One of the growth areas that we've got in hairdressing salons is professional hair colorant and coloring people's hair. You know, we've never been in such an exciting period where women are so turned on by hair color. Yes, I agree. Um, and, you know, what tends to happen is we talk to the clients that are booked about their color. We don't bother talking to them when they're not booked in. So it's, it's right. all about kind of talking to every single client. And also around the clients that um, wear color regularly, I have a little pet hate as well, is that the record card, you know, the, the records that we keep about the yes. service is only ever a record of the past. Mm. Keep blonde on every single visit. She can only get blonder and blonder and blonder. Mm -hmm. Then if you keep her in the same base five tint on, all she can do is get darker and darker and darker. It's like staining wood. Right. So, you know, right. it, it comes back to that advice and that thing about at checkout at reception saying to the client, and next time it will be December. Let's think about maybe going a more golden hue for the winter or you know, using yeah. that skill. I love that about the record card, you know. Let's have a look what we did previously, but doesn't mean that's what we're going to do today. Absolutely. It's, just, it's just a benchmark for, okay, this is where we were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like that. I'm getting a bit overpassionate and I feel like I'm kind of on my soapbox a little bit. No. But, but part of it is a, a real care because I know that there's many sounds in the industry that are feeling the squeeze. Right. Do you mean and, and the high street is changing and kind of what people expect from service is changing, but it's it's about what are we going to do about that rather than sitting moaning and whinging about it and saying, well, five years ago or ten years ago or fifteen years ago it wasn't like this. Um, it's about what are we going to do if we're faced with something? How do we kind of get over it? How do we get through it? You know, I think, that, I think that the hairdressing salon, the high street salon, is just becoming even more and more important now. You know, we're becoming less and less connected with humanity, right? I mean, we can work from home, we can shop from home, we can do everything from home now, but we can't get our hair cut from home, yeah. right? And that interaction, which we need as human beings with each other, I think is becoming more and more important. So, which, which means I think that we have even a bigger opportunity to just like knock it out the park right now. Absolutely. If we're delivering the service. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of, as I said earlier, I grew up in a, in a village salon. It's where I started my training. It was a long way from the dizzying heights of what happened in my career. 
Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the village salon listeners, viewers, has always, <laughs> has always been the pillar of the community in the village. Yeah. And, and that's what I try to kind of build into the brands that I work with. You know, at Headmasters, we employ kind of 1,500 people who've got 50 plus salons. Mm-hmm. But I wanted in many ways to have that community type feel, to be very connected to the community, community wherever we've got a salon. And, right. and no, I don't mean for the hairdressing salon to be a, a, a gossip shop or anything like that. Right. It is about delivering incredible service, but it's about that, that familiarity and that lovely environment of the salon and that welcome. And, you know, it, it's like, Every salon that I've ever worked in, when people leave the door, I try and say bye and thank you to everybody. Yeah, yeah. In, I go, hello, welcome, come in. Yeah. Whether they're my client or not. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's that lovely familiarity that people love about the salon. Mm-hmm. 100%. That's awesome, Andrew. Listen, what's, what's, what's next then? You know, what's, what's the plans now? I mean, you, you've just taken on this role at Headmasters. Um, yeah. I know you've got some other stuff going on as well. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your plans over the next what, 12 months or so? Well, I, I guess, um, so what I'm doing today, I'm in an edit suite and I'm, I'm preparing some video tutorial content mm-hmm. for my new, uh, brand new launch scholarship program for young training, not young, for trainee hairdressers okay, in awesome. years of further education. Fantastic. Uh, the scholarship is called Andrew Barton London Education, abbreviated to ABLE. Love it, love it. Um, and what ABLE's about is, it's about sharing a lot of the things that we've just been talking about, the things that I've found have worked for me in my career. Mm-hmm. And it's also about me doing something about this constant debate and bitching between colleges of further education and industry and industry knocking colleges of further education and saying the standards aren't high enough. And that is a global thing. That's not just UK. I mean, I've living in the States for 15 years and it was the same over there. Totally, totally, and exactly. I've heard it around the world, and I just thought, you know what, Andrew, I'm sick of hearing this. Now, I, I want to try and do something about it rather than just either joining the debate or kind of not joining the debate. Right. So, this is why we've launched ABLE, um, and it's going to be in colleges of further education across the UK. We're building that over the next five years. We've just launched this fall, this autumn. Uh, so it's a super exciting time. And what it means is that the student at a further education college will study what's known in the UK as the MBQ. Yeah. So they will study the MBQ standard. Right. But they'll also have an opt-in, a choice, that if they want to study an extra layer to that standard, the Andrew Barton London Education Standard, yeah. and they can study that alongside the traditional MVQ or technical qualification. Oh, so it's it. super exciting. Yeah. It gives the students an opportunity to upskill beyond the kind of national preferred standard. Um, and ultimately, my dream um, 
my real dream is that for these people, when they leave these institutions of education, that they leave with a higher quality standard of hairdressing, mm -hmm. they're more employable, mm -hmm. and they have an opportunity to take their career to different heights. And uh -huh. really being kind of the, the real laid, laid awake at night thinking, how can I help? kind of the future of hairdressing and, and, and people that are trained to be hairdressers because I want them to have an incredible career. Fantastic. And, and you've, you've rolled this out already? It's, it's already available? It's rolling out. So our first colleges have just started. Fantastic. Uh, you know, linked very much to kind of technology. Uh, most of the training is provided online. Um, we use social media a lot as well to kind of extend the messages and the experience of, of ABLE. Um, and then some personal appearances with me and the people that I work with as well. So super, super excited. And it kind oh, yeah. of feel like it's a bit of a, a dream come true. Oh, that is fantastic. Phenomenal stuff. Um, listen, I'm not going to keep you any longer, Andrew. I mean, thank you so much. I mean, like I said at the very start of this, you are one of the busiest guys that I know. So for you to be able to kind of carve out some time for us. I'm, I'm deeply privileged, so thank you so much. I'm on a and, deadline as well because I've got a yin yoga session at 7.30 tonight. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one last question before you go, and it's one that we love to ask our guests, and that is just anybody who's looking to open their own business, open their own salon, you know, what would be the one piece of advice that you have for anybody? Um, there's probably too many to mention, but yeah. what one that kind of stands out for me is something that has stayed with me since my early apprenticeship. And I was very blessed in that uh, village salon where I learned my key skills and trained. And the woman that taught me, taught me, I was 16, and she taught me, Andrew, never accept okay as a standard. Mm -hmm. It means it's not. Mm -hmm. And it stayed with me throughout my career. During every single day, if I'm doing something, I think, yeah, that's okay. I then go, no, it's not actually, and I need to make it better. And, and it's gone through my professional life, and um, it's also touched my personal life very deeply as well. Um, why should we live a life that's okay? You know, I love that your answer to that question wasn't something that came from all these incredible groups that you've worked for. It came from the very, very first salon, the very, very first person that you met, which, you know, just kind of like shows you that, you know, you don't have to be working necessarily for these massive groups in order to find, you know, great people and great success and great mentors. Totally, but what you do have to do as, as an individual is, is decide what your level of standard is. Yes. You accept and what you want to do. And, and for me, I've never wanted to do anything that's been okay, termed as okay. And I hope when people see this, it, it's, it, it helps them to kind of think about what they do. And I hope this hasn't been okay. I hope it's been better than okay. Oh, this has been amazing. This has been amazing. I'm, I know that we're going to get some um, amazing feedback from this. So thank you again, Andrew, for, for taking the time today. I deeply, deeply appreciate it. And hopefully we can kind of get you on again, uh, maybe, maybe sometime next year. I'd love to. I'd love to. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. It takes more than hair podcasts.